This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Ask Rabbi Yom Tov here in the holy city of Jerusalem, um, where we deal with uh, all our questions. And I'm not saying I got the answers, but maybe you have the merit to pull the answer out of me somehow, which seems to often happen. So we're going to start with Leora today with a question. Um, Leora, you want to unmute yourself and you can ask, yeah, please. So first of all, Rabbi, thank you so much. Your classes are always amazing and I really appreciate it. Thank and this you. is amazing platform for that. Um, mm-hmm. I just have a question about the fila. So yeah. I heard that it's supposed to like change you and like bring you closer to Hashem. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't understand like how from like the beginning of Mincha, I could be different at, by the end of it. Like how can we use tefillah to really change ourselves? Okay, um, so I don't want to. I don't. They, so I'm just going to repeat the question in case anyone heard it, didn't hear. Is how can uh, tefillah prayer? Ch- it's if it's supposed to change us. How does it change us, or how can we make it change us? So I'm going to answer that in two ways. One way is that that first of all, let's ask the question about the question. Who says it's supposed to change us? You know, and um, that's number one. You know, who says who says prayer is supposed to change us? Maybe maybe prayer is supposed to um, maybe prayer is built so that we can draw Hashem's divine effulgence to every mineral, plant, vegetable, Gentile, Jew who shares our neshama, and then all the angelic forms above us in all the parallel worlds that that were to draw divine, you know, God's divine shefa, His flow, into creation. Maybe that's what tefillah is about. That's what I was taught. Um, the so that's devil's that believe it or not that was playing devil's advocate is that it's not designed to change us it's designed to um, to uh, to do kabbalistic stuff. But what about changing us in our priorities? You know, like when's the last time you cried about uh, I don't know um, the the. The sprout of David, or the, or the, you know, the, like that, you really care that much about that? Like, where are you asking this question from, Leora? What city are you in? I'm from LA. Yeah, so you're in LA, like praying for redemption, you know, it's like, you know, like put your money where your mouth is, lady. So, so that's the other thing I was going to say is that if you want it to change you, so, so start, realize that it's it's a station it's a daily three times a day station identification of where we're supposed to be at you understand we're we're supposed to be this is supposed to be these are the top priorities here if they made the shimone esrei yeah which is uh you know especially the the 13 requests because there's three prayers before you know maganavot mechaimitim and hakela kadosh those are the three. Then you have three afterwards, which are um, are um, Thanksgiving or Ritzay, Thanksgiving, and then Sim Shalom. So that's already six. There's nineteen altogether. So it might, so nineteen minus six is thirteen. There's thirteen major requests. So how much are you living those things? Like you, I, that's nice. You want to pray for them, but what are you doing about them? You get that? So so like. When you say, give our portion in them, meaning that tzaddikim, when we do Allah tzaddikim, do you have a tzaddik? 
you have a tzaddik, you connect to Liara. You know, that's, that's, you want your chilek with them, well, you better find your tzaddik, yeah, and, and make sure you're connecting. And um, so each one of those prayers is, uh, I didn't mean to give you so much musr, I'm, I mean, who, <laughs> you'll take musr. So, I'll take it. Yeah. Um, I'm inviting people to have their cameras on because it makes it a lot easier for me to teach. So, anyway, the... Um, so the... So that much it can change, meaning it can get our... We can get our acts together and start putting our money where our mouth is, you know. Um, did I call Nefesh Benefesh? And ask them if I can make Aliyah, not now, but maybe in a couple of years, but maybe I should do the paperwork now. That would be a step. Or do I even have a plan for when I'm moving to Israel? I tell the people, the Hasidim in Borough Park, I tell them, you can't, you got to stop saying Tekaba Shoifa. You got to stop saying that, that, that uh, God should bring back the exiles when you're doing, when you're doing the opposite. You're actually investing more and more in, in Brooklyn than lifting yourselves up and out. So I, you know what I tell them? I tell them, why don't you make plans to make Aliyah in five years? And you can reassess in five years for another five years. But no plan. No plans. Don't say the prayer if you're not going to do something about it. Yeah. By the way, I don't really mean that. People should pray the prayer. Say the prayer even though they do nothing about it. So that much can change us. Um, there's another thing that can change you. And that is um, ecstatic prayer. Um, ecstatic prayer, which good luck finding that, you know, like where, meaning where you're going to do that with a group of people. But if you can find an alternative ecstatic prayer group that's going to go full on, like heavy duty, you know, like breathe, breath work and, and screaming out the prayers and like, and like really getting into it like that. And what that can do is that can change you. It can break you into a, break you through to a mystical experience. And mis- there's probably nothing that changes us more than a mystical experience. You have to be grounded afterwards, obviously, and you want to be grounded before because otherwise you can be, you know, ungrounded. But uh, but you, yeah, but you can have um, prayer is certainly set up for mystical experiences. Um, I'm part of an ecstatic prayer group. Um, I do not get together with them except on Shabbos and Yom Tif, um, which is, you know, my bad, but I, I, just, I don't want to drive over there. and I don't like going to that side of town. It's on the other side of the tracks. People in Nachlot don't like crossing the tracks much. And uh, I live by the Shuk in Nachlot, and, and uh, we're happy over there in our little village. Um, but Shabbos, everything's a village, so I don't mind going across the tracks. And then I go to this ecstatic prayer group. And uh, in that ecstatic prayer group, I, I, I would say many of us hit a mystical experience uh, each week. Each week we get there, certainly on Yom Tov, where we really go for it. Um, but we're doing mi- primal scream with special breathing, because you can't do primal scream without special breathing. So we're doing like a primal scream, special breathing prayer prayer. Um, and it's at the top of our lungs. And just to get to Baruch Hu, takes an hour and a half. And after a while, you start departing from this world. And when you get outside the world, you, you really, that changes you fundamentally. It's like that view of the earth from the spaceship when they first went to the moon. 
changed the whole planet. Everyone suddenly saw, saw that kind of, wow, wow. Like this thing, this thing's really small and, and, and it's important and it's delicate and it's, it's fragile and I'm part of it and I can make it and I need to make a difference. And, and so those are all part of mystical experiences. There's also a sense of interconnectivity, like all the separateness you normally experience in a mystical experience, you don't experience separateness. You got to be pretty careful who you have your mystical experiences with, because uh, could be should should be experiencing some separateness with that person. So you know you got to be a little careful with mystical experiences. But you become I mean you're one with uh, everything. You become one with reality in a mystical experience, and so and so that's uh, that's a big one. Um, oh yeah, sorry. Uh, oh, Yochanan wants to connect via Zoom. Fabulous. Uh, you know what? I'll put it in the comments here. Um, can someone, do you ladies uh, or any of you have the code available? Can someone give me the code for the Zoom? The login number? Yeah. Hold on. I'll put it in for anyone on Facebook who'd like to come on Zoom. Oh, she's got it right there. It's better you read it to me because I'm staring at my Facebook screen here. I see eight, eight, five, eight five seven. Keep going. Eight four three. Uh -huh. Eight five one four nine. Eight five one four nine. So if it makes it easier. I'll read it again once. Eight five seven eight four three eight five one four nine. Now sending it, and uh, yeah. So yeah, please join on Zoom. And if you join on Zoom, please put your phone on. I got three out of my seven participants, sorry, now four out of my, uh, we lost Devorah, but four out of my seven participants have their phones on, which is very kind, very kind to Rabbi Yom Tov. I really appreciate that. Okay, next question. Devorah, you got a question? Uh, anyone on Facebook, feel free to send a question. I'll see it on messages right in front of me. Questions, questions. And you who don't, okay, and also the three of you who don't have your camera on, you can still put your mic on and uh, ask a question. And people aren't used to me answering questions. I'm used to like, I just, you just put just me, talking. put me in front of people and I'll just go. But I, I, so I, I yeah, go ahead. Michael. Sorry, sorry, uh, Rabbi. So I was watching your lecture uh, yesterday. Um, I don't know how old it was, but it was on the 10 spheres, the way you describe it with like ice cream and stuff in front of your class. So the only part of the spheres that I don't see in that one is how you take, uh, you don't talk about the top one. You go in, like, and then you right, describe. Right. Yesterday we went all the way on the top one, on Keter, the top one. So, yeah, maybe not to bring it up too much. Um, well, you, are you wondering why I don't bring it up more? Well, it's not. it's not necessarily a good thing to do if you're not, uh, oh, no, no, Ket, you're, it's fine to speak about Keter. About, Ket, Keter's fine to speak about. That's not something you're supposed to refrain from speaking about. Um, there's other things you should be refraining from. Um, the, re Please. the reason I don't speak much about it, I'll, maybe I'll answer that because someone asked another question in the meantime. So the reason I don't speak much about Keter is because it's, it's non-active. Keter is a non-active uh, attribute. And so... And so um, it is. It is the um, it's the overall desire of God for the creation, like to create the creation. But it's not. Um, 
it's not a active like chesed is flow. You know, it's just flow and it's light shooting into reality. Gevura is limiting that light. You know, so there's like those are very active and and our lives are very involved in that action. So, so we can align ourselves with those spheros and. We're created in the image of them when it says we're God created us in the image of God. And so and so I usually discuss the more active ones because those we can do something about. But the truth is really But Keter Keter we can do a lot about. You know, Keter we can do quite a bit about. And um uh, by the way, you can always pin my picture if you want on the side there's a pin. That way if someone's asking a question you you don't need to see them larger than life. But some people some people enjoy that. I just had a full scale Michael across the screen about that big. So, okay. So I had another question: How do we deal with difficult people, and especially those who are lying? You know, people have lying issues. So, so that's an amazing question. Dealing with uh, difficult people, people who lie. So the um, in general, when we deal with difficult people, we often take it personally. That's a good thing to do, meaning, meaning, uh, um, why has God put this person in my life? Like, why, why am I attracting difficult people into my life? That's the question we want to ask. So, so you don't want to see it as random that difficult people have been entering your life, or people difficult people are in your life. You want to, you, you, you'd be shocked to discover that that difficult people, when you're clean vibrationally, difficult people just go the other way. Now, I'm not going to have the audacity to call myself clean vibrationally, but however much I'm clean vibrationally, I can tell you I've gotten to the point where difficult people just stay away from me. And I've slowly but yeah, surely like I've slowly but surely gotten to the point where where people who are what's called hooked on help, meaning they're just there to like suck your blood. Yeah, I call them hooked on help. They have an inner negative belief of of lost. They usually didn't have a very good relationship with their fathers. And the uh, fathers are like compasses that get you out of the forest. And, um, and someone who didn't have a very good relationship with their compass, meaning with their father, so they feel quite lost in life. And, they, um, and so they wind up. Uh, be more specific, Brian, about that question. I'm not sure what you mean by that. I mean, maybe you mean the nefesh abahemis. I don't know. So uh, someone is <laughs> I'm busy reading other people's questions in the middle of my answer. I'm sorry. I have to learn how to do that. I've never done ask Rabbi Yom before. So, um, so what happens is, our, um, is that people who feel lost like that, they wind they wind up being um, they wind up being kind of permanent, permanently needing to, to get help, but they can never get the help because then they would be lost. Then meaning meaning they know themselves as lost. They need guidance, but they can't ever accept the guidance because then they wouldn't be lost anymore, and then they'd have that identity crisis. I know that sounds crazy, but there are, if you're a rabbi, you meet people, and I, I have a term for them. They're called hooked on help, and you can never really help such a person. What you can do, and what's an amazing breakthrough for them, but you've got to be very gentle, is, um, is to exp- you know, point it out that they're hooked on help, and they're just, it's like bullseye. It's like, poof. They're like, whoa, I had no idea. Because we're not talking about not normal people. These are usually pretty put-together people. They're just hooked on help. So so the, uh, so the, that's amazing for them, and they can really break through a lot by, 
by being called out on their being hooked on help. Now, um, um, so if they're in your life, if they're in your life, that means that you're draw, you drew them into your life. Nobody comes into your life that's not drawn in. Now, if they're your family member, immediate family member, then and you didn't necessarily draw them into your life, but they are definitely um, they're definitely there for you. But you'll notice they'll start bothering other people. They'll bother your other siblings. Like let's say it's one of your siblings or it's your parents, they'll just find someone else to bother. And and regarding lying people, lying people, it's probably inappropriate to have any um, tolerance of that. Um, lying is, um, lying's really one of the worst sins of all of life. Um, it's, uh, it is a, it is a, it is the destabilizing force of all reality. And, and what happens is certain people get, get, um, hooked up on lying. And when that happens... They are, um, they, so now they're going to be in a very, very destructive mode. Even if they're, even if they're like getting away with it, more or less, things are going to be going south with that person. And therefore it's inappropriate to be, um, to be, uh, tolerant of that or even play along with that at any time. And the opposite, you want to call them out on that and, and be the one who, who has zero tolerance for that until they can get their acts together. And that's, that's a kindness that is a, uh, a, um, it's what's called, um, a certain kindness, like punching a drug addict in the face yeah, so that he stops yeah, doing something kind, bad. It's that kind of kindness. It's, it's called, it's violent kindness. Yeah. It's called, like it's that. called Gevura Shebechesed, meaning you're yeah. doing a kindness, but through Gevura. And, uh, yeah. and going along with their lies would be called chesed shebechesed. That's that's going along with it, and whereas playing along, yeah, you're playing along and, and enabling, and that's that. With once it's lying, it's zero tolerance. You can play along with a lot of crazy stuff with people, but not um, not lying. Lying's where you draw the line. Yeah. Okay, we got a couple other questions on the chat here. Um, um, how to deal with... Oh, that was okay. I took that one. Um, um, you're allowed to do primal prayer using an intoxicant. That's okay. I, no, 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 no. To not do it with an intoxicant. No, I'm saying you're, you're, you're allowed to do it with an intoxicant. You had written in your question um, to not do it with an intoxicant, but um, you're, you're allowed to. The... Um, the the, in our group, my ecstatic prayer group, we do use an intoxicant. Um, we use caffeine. <laughs> well, that's a heavy intoxicant. Okay. If you use caffeine ceremonially, so all the energy of that jungle kind of ceremony kicks in. If you use it that way, it only doesn't. Caffeine only doesn't work ceremonially if you use it as a beverage or a wake-up call. You know, like an alarm clock to get you up. If you're using it as a fog lifter, which is how I use it every morning, I use I drink I drink coffee just in the morning. I uh, I don't wake up well, nor do any glazers wake up well. And uh, you know, you know, when I was first when I was first Balchuva, I uh, I had my first Shabbos with my um, 
my relatives and who were observant in Queens. And I was really nervous they should accept me and consider me like on board with Judaism and everything. And, and, uh, and uh, I asked them before I went to bed, it was very important to me. I said, what time's prayers in the morning? And they said, they're at eight thirty. You know, I said, okay, so, so I need like a seven thirty wake up to make sure, you know, I'm, I'm on board and like I'm up and running like every other observant Jew would be, you know, and I was coming from a, you know, Asia, I would flown in from Jerusalem, Asia Torah, which is everything runs on time. And anyway, um, so what happened? I wake up in the morning, Shabbos morning, and I look at the alarm clock and it says, I look at the cl digital clock, it says 9 a.m. And it was like, it was like a horror movie. It was like violins playing screechy sounds. And I was like, no. And I, and I don't even know how to get to their shul where they'd play sh shacharit. And I didn't know where to go. And I, I ran down to the kitchen. And I say to Mrs. Glazer, they're my cousins, I said to, to Yitti Glazer in a panic, I'm like, where are they? Where are they? Just tell me how to get there and I'll go. And she says, they're all asleep. We're Glazers. <laughs> and then I looked at her and I went, you too? You're also, you also have this issue? So anyway, my brothers and I, if nothing wakes us, nothing wakes us. And, you know, it's a bit of a miracle because I'm running my seminars now for, you know, a lot of the people who participate in my Zoom seminars are in, are in, you know, the West, Western Hemisphere, you know, they're in New York or wherever. And they're, they, now everyone's gone back to work, so I can't run it normal hours. So guess what time I'm waking up every day this week? 4.30 in the morning. Mm. And, and I'm, I'm on the Zoom seminar from 5 to 7. Oh, my gosh. I, today's the third day. I have become so disoriented that I spent most of my day in a total spin, like a spiral of like out of my, out of my brain. I don't know where I was today. And, um, so I've been going to sleep at 10 PM, right? When we finish this session. Um, okay. Back to, back to, uh, so we, oh, so we use, so caffeine ceremonially, uh, is what I do is right when we're about, three quarters of the way into to things at around uh, the Song of the Sea, which we're doing full blast and we do every line together. So, so when we get there, so I and other men go into the coffee tea room and we just, I'll take that coffee out and I'm just like one scoop, two scoops, three scoops, four scoops, five scoops. S seriously, uh, what, uh, Five times the strength coffee of usual. Sugar, gotta have sugar. One scoop, two scoop. Three. I gotta cut it, you know. And then I start stirring it. It's like a paste. <laughs> anyway, then I get a syringe. Just kidding. Then I, um, then I get a. Uh, oh, got that mosquito. I'm getting good in this. This studio has a mosquito issue. The second I see when I tuck my pants into my socks. So, excuse me, <laughs> the Skeeters are like, they love my blood. I don't know what type of blood I have, but Skeeters love my blood. They, if I'm in a room with 30 people, like camping out or something in a tent, they're going to find me and everyone else is going to be so happy I'm there. And, and this is one of the things though I loved about, uh, meaning they'll at least bite some other people. 
So this is one of the nice things about um, about um, having children is uh, when you add more people, your wife goes after them instead sometimes. So so that, that, that you know, I, I have eight kids, so it's like it's it spreads her wrath across everybody. And so it's a lo- it's a lot easier since all those kids were born. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> I'm just messing around. <laughs> Anyone who knows my wife knows that she's just like a bowl full of honey. I'm just fooling around. I was really talking about mosquitoes. And uh, it, it is nice to not be alone in a room with a mosquito. Now, um, although it doesn't seem to matter with my wife. Like, if, if I'm in there, they're all going for me. Um, <laughs> just watching your faces while I was telling that story was amazing <laughs> it was all worth it sometimes i do that it's a it's a trait from my mother's side of the family they're burmans and they will just lead you on for for like as long as you're willing to take the ride they will just keep going and uh it's it's quite funny but maybe a little not nice I don't know. okay um i just want to fix the view here a little bit uh, we're fine okay Hey, Yossi, how you doing? Welcome to Ask the Rabbi. Hope you have a question. Um, Yossi, you have a question? Um, first, let me listen, then I'll maybe I'll... Okay, I got other questions here. Um, here we go. Um, what comes first? What comes first? Love from others or love yourself first in order to be able to love others? Oh, what a sweet question. So, so well, we learn from the Torah, it says very specifically which one's first, because it says, What does that mean? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what's, who's first? If, if, if you don't love yourself, how are you going to love your neighbor? Meaning, meaning only in as much as you love yourself can you love your neighbor. Now, I'll share with you a Torah that I've shared a million times, but I'll share it again. I think you'll appreciate it, is that, um, and maybe this is one of those ones you just can't hear enough of, is that when you are, um, when you don't love yourself, so everyone you meet is competition, okay? Everyone you meet is competition, everyone you're with is competition, because think about it, you're automatically on a scale with everyone you meet, you know, one's thinner, one's fatter, one's prettier, one's one's more handsome, one's... Uh, smarter, one's dumber, one's wiser, one's simpler, one's uh, 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 more put together, one's more, you know, uh, disheveled, like, like there's, there's tons of, you know, one's richer, one's poorer, like, you know, there's, there's just detail after detail that you don't know about when you meet somebody, and there's many people you do know about it. And you know you're you're falling short on several categories, so you you get that everybody there's there's lots of categories of comparison, and so and so when you don't love yourself, you're automatically relegated to that comparison. If you don't love yourself, so then you're stuck with with categories of that you fall into, and you can be, hold yourself in esteem in some category, maybe you're particularly smart or you're particularly 
in good shape or you're particularly good at driving or particularly good at accounting. I don't know what you're good at, but you, meaning you can, Uh you can have an account, you can have a category that you excel in and maybe have some self-esteem in that category. But (laughs) when you meet someone fresh, like they could be like twice as good as you at that category. So like, what good was it that you're even good at that category? And, and as, as handsome or pretty as you are, you might meet someone who just puts you in the back pocket, you know? So, so it's like, you know, as good shape you're in, there's someone in better shape who you might run into. And so even in your categories that you hold yourself in esteem with, good luck loving anybody because you're going to be in some, once you're in comparisons, you're not in love. That is not called love when you're in comparison mode. Clear? So that's basically all I was doing just now was setting up the problem. And here's the solution. The solution is that, that you must love yourself. That's well. That's the beginning of the solution. The other is going to be obviously how to love yourself, but you must love yourself. And when you love yourself, to begin with, meaning meaning when you simply love yourself. So then, yeah, the studio's in Jerusalem, uh, right near my house. Thank God. Um, oh, we got the guitar. Should I play something for y'all? Yeah. Um, oh, Facebook doesn't even see the guitar. There's a there's a beautiful guitar right here. My tailor is right there. So maybe I'll play a little something for you guys. Anyway, you guys are like my little play date today, you know. <laughs> Not that I was bored. I mean, I've got like, you know, you can imagine what's going on in my house right now. There, there's never boredom. Boredom's not one of the options in the Glazer house. My neighbors, like, they, they, uh, you know, I have neighbors, I have neighbors who are like hardcore Litvaks. You know what Litvaks are? Yeah, so like some of my neighbors are like hardcore Litvox, and they're very like you know everything's like business like and kind of cold and collected and like you're not studying enough, Rabbi, you know about me, so or whatever you know or my kids or you know it feels judgmental. Who knows? Maybe there's no judgment, but you know from the, my interactions with them, I think there is a little judgment. And uh, anyway, one of their sons, whenever he gets drunk, he comes one of the sons of the biggest rabbi who's, I think, got the heaviest judgment for us, when he's, when he's had a little too much to drink, he comes running in my house and sits next to me and starts screaming that I'm the life of the neighborhood and that everyone else is, like, dead compared to our house. <laughs> compared to our house. But he says it so loud to make sure that his father can hear from his window where he's having his, <laughs> his Shabbos dinner. And so my kids are like... Oh no! And his daughters are like out on their balcony, kind of looking at my daughters because our daughters are all friends, and they're all looking at each other. Here we go again! You know, this guy is making his big statement about where the life is in the in the neighborhood. But uh, but I tell you the truth. I'm, I mean, I, I am jealous of his uh, his study his study acumen, you know, his skills and his and his uh, resolve. You know, I'm I'm way too ADHD for any kind of lifestyle like that. Like, that's not going to be happening. Oh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> so I did pay my dues, though. Uh, I did study uh, three, uh, you know, what's called Sadarim a day, morning, afternoon, and night. I did that for eight, eight years straight, probably because I married this holy lady who made sure that took place. So I don't know if left to my mm. own devices I would have done that. Although when it was clear that I was going to be a rabbi, so then it like made more sense, but not a ton of sense. During the study of to be a rabbi, my brain actually the lining of my brain swelled when the when it really got intense, 
and I wound up hospitalized. And the rabbi, the rabbi uh, overseeing the group, Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz, called me in the hospital, and he said, he said that, he said Torah is not supposed to kill you. And and I was like, I'm like, what do you want from me? You know, I'm so out of my league to be studying, you know, on the, for these kind of exams. And and he said, uh, he said, if you get sick one more time, you're out of the group. And you I, mean you actually studied so hard that your your my brain your, swelled. Well, <laughs> oh my god, oh my god. Yeah, it was. Rough. I can I can I can imagine that. I can see that because the gray matter, like, oh my god, that's anyway. That's nuts. Anyway, Baruch Hashem, I'm, I'm, I was, after that, I was like, I was extra careful with my health. And, and I mean, it was, it was crazy. I was, uh, my family didn't see me, my family, during those exams, my family didn't see me for a year. Didn't see me for a year. Meaning, meaning I'd come home, make kiddush, wash, eat hamotzi. My wife would serve me all the courses at once. So I could eat them all in like 20 minutes. And then I would go back up to the Beit Midrash over my house and study for the rest of the Shabbos. She would see me again for lunch, th- same way, not third meal. Third meal I would eat in the study hall. And then she, next time she'd see me was Sunday morning. And it was going on like that all week long, all year long. You know, I was like a stranger. Um, it t- that's what it took for me. None of the other m- men, none of my colleagues had to do that. I had to do that. Because I was just, you know, when, you're, when you skip school from 11 to, from 11 years old to 23, if you skip school, you know, and you find yourself suddenly studying full time, you know, you just don't have the skill sets, you know, the, 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 in Yiddish, it's called Zitzfleisch, which means sit flesh, which is what we're all sitting on right now. But in Yiddish, it's called Zitzfleisch. And, uh, and, you know, I just don't have that naturally, but I did three, eight years of study, uh, studying on that level. Um, I still study, obviously, Baruch Hashem. Um, Today we're studying in um, the Dafyaimi Masecha Shabbos about snakes that are particularly attracted to women. Yeah. Oh my God, I know that. Oh, okay. yeah. That's 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 that particular page of Talmud is one of the ones that definitely attest why girls don't study Talmud. Now, with the plier, yeah. Okay, Michael, please. I wasn't going to say any details. So, listen, the. Um, uh, where are we at? I was answering a question. Uh, oh, love, love. Like... Yeah, so if you love yourself, so then you, there's no comparison to others. You're just like, oh, now how do I love myself? And then you'll understand how you love others. So how you love yourself is that you're created in the image of God. Okay, you're created in the image of God. And, and that means a couple things. Like, what does that mean? Once you're in the image of God, what does that mean? So one is... Uh, you're wanted because how'd you get here? You know, so you're wanted. Two is uh, is your uh, uh, your you're here for a reason. Three is uh, meaning God doesn't do things random, so you're here for a reason. Three is that you're capable. Whatever reason you're here, He's giving you the brains to do do a good job with that. Like I, my brains are set up for what I do. Big time. And they're perfectly set up. And I don't know a lot of people whose brains work like mine. My brain was specifically given the same genius you have for whatever you're here for. God put in me for whatever I'm here for. So that means you're brilliant. And uh, you're also, your your whole, 
face and body are all created things. There's nothing random, so you're beautiful just the way you are. And, um, and that makes you automatically beautiful, being created in the image of God. Um, it also means that you're important, like you matter. Because if you didn't matter, you wouldn't be here. So you matter. And uh, I mean, you really make a difference by just by the very fact you're here makes a difference. And um, and it also also you're capable because <laughs> that'd be a dirty trick to put you down here with a purpose and no capability to fulfill it. So you're capable as well. And um, anyway, it just, the list goes on. You know, it's like you're you're just amazing. You know, you're basically awesome. And and see, the sad thing is most people start the Torah. With the flood, <laughs> meaning, 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 the Torah says that people are just basically evil, you know, and speak bad. All you know, their their thoughts are just evil all day long. Like that's how most people mm. see themselves. I start the Torah with Genesis, where it says we're created in the image of God. Like that's where we we're meant to start at Genesis, not at the flood. But you know, most of you probably start with the flood in the way you look at yourself. Where man had already, um, man had already kind of crossed a, too many lines in his crookedness that God had to destroy the place by flood, and so you can't see yourself like that. That's not appropriate. It's not truth. It's not MS. So you know, if you brush your teeth, if you brush your teeth before you go to bed, that's because it's true, and it will keep your teeth together. You know, you'll you'll have teeth. So it's also true that you're amazing. So just like you brush your teeth, you see yourself as you're amazing. It's the same thing. Everything you do that's based in truth, you know, you, you, you live that way in how you see yourself. Now, once I see, realize that I'm amazing because I've been given this soul in the image of God, well, guess what everyone else was given? Same thing. No duh. Yeah, so like everyone I meet, I'm, I'm awesome, and so are you. Yeah, and so is everybody I meet. And that's why the, the Kabbalists say that in the line where it says, love your neighbor as yourself, you know what the last two words are? You know what the last two words are? Ani Hashem. Ani Hashem. You know what that means? Well, God often stamps certain lines in the Torah with, I am God, meaning, do this, I am God. So Rashi explains, I am God who will repay you for this. Meaning, whatever you do on this stuff, I will. I am God who will pay you. It's his stamp. Hey, Alicia, I'm waiting for your questions, bro. So, so whenever it says, I am God, it's his stamp saying, I'm your God, I am God who will pay, reward you for this. But in this particular case, um, the, some of the Kabbalists share that it says, love your neighbor as yourself. I am, I, meaning you, I am God meaning you have a soul straight from God. And once you have that, there's no more comparisons. There's no categories where someone's great. Everything. Well, there's categories, but they don't matter because the, the focus is on the essence, and the essence is the soul. Okay. Everything else is closed. Right. So, it's like a, like a beggar. So that, yeah, and that was the first one. Um, now, I got another one regarding people from Devorah. How do you let go of people? <laughs> I'm having a hard time hearing you. The volume a little bit low. I'm not sure if it's my, me or you. I think it's you. Uh, Le Leora, you hear me fine? Yeah, I'm fine. 
So I don't know why, Alicia, something's up there. Maybe check your volume on your screen. Check it out. Right. Yeah, Dor. Actually, I made the question, but I just I was just wondering something now from your last answer. And uh, previously you were talking about uh, a person that lies and how to respond to that. So how do you love someone that lies or someone that's toxic? Uh, what's, uh, like, what's, the, the, so when it comes to the negative stuff, you see their, see their innocence because they've obviously been through hell. And anyone who's acting that way, obviously is acting that way because things were not so good, good for them. So, and, and so f that's f as far as seeing their innocence. Oh my gosh. Uh, someone asked a question. How do I connect in davening? I did a whole thing at the beginning of this. You're going to have to watch the beginning of the video after Shmuel. And nice to, nice to see you online. Um, watch the beginning of Dominic we did, beginning of the class. So, and I didn't exactly answer your question, but I don't want to do a whole other thing on Dominic right now. Um, Devorah, the uh, first is to see their innocence, meaning that these people are obviously hurting. Anyone acting out is hurting. Okay, so, and the reason they're hurting is God knows, you know, like leave that to their therapist why they're hurting. But you can, all you have to do is think about who their parents were and you can figure it out pretty quickly why they're hurting. Um, unless they went through some other radical trauma. But, but hurt people hurt people and people who are acting out are always coming from a painful place. So that's number one, is see their innocence. And number two is to, once you see their innocence, is to, is to love them from a soul level. You know, you can love them from a soul level. So even though they're lying with their body, meaning their mouth, their mind, their their soul is not lying. And you can love them there. And uh, I love everyone there on the soul level. And I meet all kinds of creepy people. <laughs> and I, I just love them. And, you know, it's really interesting to love creepy people. You know, and you, you would think loving creepy people would attract more into your life. Um, they run, They run from me. You know, meaning they they'll they get very quickly that I'm Teflon for them. They're gonna have to find someone else to bother. So, but but I still love them, and it takes them aback a bit because some of them are like built to be abrasive, like that's their whole modus, and uh, and I'm not gonna go there with them. I'm gonna actually treat them softly, and they'll have to deal with that. So you just love them from a soul place. Now, of course, I understand, Devar, that could be exhausting if they're family members, <laughs> you know. The, uh, I, but at least they're not going to bother you once you get your own, once you get yourself clean, meaning when you're clean vibrationally, they won't bother you anymore. They'll bother everyone else. But it's a lot easier to love someone who's not bothering you anymore. Okay. Um, Alicia, you got your volume worked out? Well, I'm not going to deal with your technical issues right <laughs> Uh, yeah, 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 it's kind of okay. I have earphones a bit better. Okay. But I have a question. Okay, great. Um, I, I basically, uh, I heard that there is a machlokas. Uh, if Hashem, um, I mean, it basically, it, it, if, if there's actually something as nature and things happen in like a natural way, but Hashem intervenes, or if every single thing is really totally uh, Hashem directing everything. Right. So I would just, just yeah. You want me to handle that? So there's uh, there's yes. a, there's an argument, but in the Ashkenazic world, 
It's not in the Sephardic world. It's in the Ashkenazi. Well, the Sephardic take the Hasidic, as usual, take the Hasidic line. Um, and, and there is a bit, even in the Sephardic world, of this machlokas, but it's mostly an argument in the Ashkenazic world about um, whether the world is God's will or it's actually literally of God himself. Meaning, can God be separate from this world? So, uh, shame I don't have my Tanya with me right now. Um, but the, um, the, the Balatanya speaks about this in detail, uh, I think in the fourth chapter of, uh, right at the, be- uh, uh, there's a break, there's a break in one of the chapters of, of Shar Yichud Ve'amunah, the second book of, ta- uh, in the Tanya. Uh, do you have that with you by any chance, Alicia? No. So the second book of the Tanya is called Shar Yichud Ve'amunah, the gate of, uh, of unity. And it's all about God really being one, including in this world, like there's nothing separate. And that's the Hasidic take, and Chabad's Hasidic, Tanya, is Chabad Sefer. So um, most Sephardim hold this way as well, that this world's really just a cosmic, this really, this whole world is just a vibra- vibrational illusion, right? It's a, it's a, um, it's, it's being synthesized ultimately, vibrationally, from this creator. And and so, and so this is, um, there is only God. And that, by the way, is why we cover our eyes when we say Shema, because when you're saying the truth, that God is all there is, you don't want to see anything else. I just want to see what there is. And what there is is God. So that's all I want to look at right now, which is nothing. And you'll notice, by the way, everyone close your eyes a second. Just close your eyes regular without your hand. So you'll still see light, but now take your hand and cover it tightly. And you'll see that it's uh, really oneness. Okay, release. You'll see it's really oneness. Now that you're releasing, now you see detail. You're looking at the screen or whatever, whatever you're in your room, yourself. But now, who says all of that's any different than the oneness you were looking at before? Because if that oneness were to, exp- if that oneness were to emit light. If it were to emit light and then filter that light such that there could be an image on the other side, because isn't that what all images are made of? Is You know, if you see your shadow on the ground, you're filtering light from the sun. So, so according to the Kabbalistic traditions, the uh, all there is is God. That's all there is. And everything is just, everything is just God... In, in jello form you know it's it's coagulated it's just god in gelatinous god and uh and um whereas in there's another group of ashkenazim called called uh you know it's more the yeshivish or lithuanian litvak crowd and they, they they have trouble with that and the reason they have trouble with that is because is their concern is that you would ascribe divinity to physical things because if everything's God, so so maybe this uh, maybe my this m- mouse maybe this is God, you know. I wouldn't bow down to this, but the the Kabbalist would come back to them and say, "Hey, what do you mean? Like the first commandment." is that there's God and that's all there is. And the second commandment is letting you know that in case you would think that everything's God and meaning you should think everything's God and but in case you would fall into bowing down to a, a mouse, 
you have a commandment not to. Otherwise, what do you need the second commandment for? What's the point of having a second commandment? Why have the commandment of not to do idolatry if there wasn't a possibility that everything's filled with with elokus of God, elokut, godliness, and that it can as- that you could ascribe godliness to any one thing. So therefore, you need a commandment for that. You understand? That's why we have that commandment. Whereas, according to the the rationalists, the the you know the Litvak community, the um, it would be you know it, it would it would be you know it wouldn't be that big a commandment really because <laughs> of course it's not God. God's some thing out there, not in here. God's something out there. And, yeah, you're not supposed to bow down to things in here. Okay, thank you. You know, why would I do that anyway? Whereas in the Hasidic side, they're concerned, or the Sephardic or Hasidic side, they're concerned that you might wind up bowing down to something once you realize everything's made of that divinity. Now, you can imagine I've spent plenty of time with people who sense the divinity in things and, and give way more honor than we would expect would be appropriate to, for example, the directions, north, south, east, west, you know, like, like, um, I mean, uh, Alicia, when's the last time you offered, give an offering to the north? A little prayer to the north. <laughs> you know, it's like, nah, not going to be doing that. Yeah, but believe me, you know, when it comes, when you get into the Kabbalistic stuff, you're doing a lot with the north and the south. Who can give me a direct example of something super Kabbalistic docious that we do with the north, south, east, west? So you're like, we're facing east? Okay, you face east, but that's more, that's not because of east, that's because of the, you know, if you were west of the temple, you'd be facing west. Sorry, if you were east of the temple, you'd be facing west. Ah, very good, Lula, yes. Lula, we're... We're shaking that lulav in all the directions, and uh, and we're that's a that's serious stuff there. Like that's 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 the same stuff kabbalistically that the those people giving their little offering to the winds of the west or whatever they do. I don't know what they do, <laughs> you know. But but uh, you know we don't offer nothing to that to it because we'd only give an offering to the creator of the west, you know. And West, but West has its energy, man. You bet Kabbalah is going to be talking about that, you know? So, so the, uh, anyway, I'm starting to get into more topics here, but, but the main thing for us is, is that, um, is that we're, we're big boys and girls. We can handle the world being, the world being an expression of divinity without bowing down to our pencil or, any or the ocean or the sun or the stars or the moon. We're not. We're just not going to be doing that. You know what I learned recently is something interesting. Is um, is that uh, Kiddush Levana when we sanctify the moon, like from tonight, you're allowed to sanctify the moon. And uh, so Kiddush Levana, the reason we say Aleinu Lishabek, because why do you say Aleinu after Kiddush Levana? It's not Shacharit. It's not Mincha. Like. Why do you say Aleinu L'Shabach after? And the answer is, is because Aleinu L'Shabach has a certain function for Shacharit. 
But if you look at the content of it, it's all about crushing idolatry. Now, a bunch of Jews just gave a major blessing together for the moon. Now, what does that look like? It looks like we're praying to the moon. And now we're dancing around, you know, singing the songs about the luminaries. And, you know, it's like that needs a lane afterwards to make it real clear. Like we're making a statement now after we do that prayer that we are denouncing idolatry. Kores ye karesun. Yeah, it should be cut off completely. Kores. Kores ye karesun. That, that idolatry should be cut off out of the earth, off the earth. And that's part of Elena. Is that where you're saying that part? No, the second paragraph's more about that. Uh, we mentioned there... Before Vanachan Koyam, we say, Vehe Mishtachavim la Hevel Varik, Vimispalim la El Lo Yoshia. We do say, mention idolaters there, but the second paragraph's literally to wipe out idolatry. And uh, you'll notice, look at that sec, you see the second paragraph? Alken. Yeah, listen to, this wor- listen to these words, guys. Alken Nikave Lacha. And now we will put all our hope to you, Hashem Alkenu, Lirot Mehera, to see quickly. Bitiferes uh, in 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 it could be translated as splendor, and I'm not going to give a whole kabbalistic reason why teferet is there, but it's pretty cool. Bitiferes uzecha in the splendor of your strength, lahavir giluli min haaretz to remove idolaters from the from the earth, vehalilim, and all their idols yikros yikaresun. May they be surely cut off. A double language of kares. Yikros yikaresun. Bemalchus. What? What's the next words? Yikaresun. After the words. What's the word after? Letaken oilam. Bemalchus shakai. This is amazing. Letaken to fix. The takain, like a rectif- to rectify. The takain olam, to rectify the world. Now, what's the world? The world's the hiddenness of God. Because the word olam means world. It also means forever. It also means hidden. So we're fixing the hidden, the hidden world. Meaning we're fixing, because what is it to do idolatry? It's to think that this world's the end. When in fact, this world's just the hiddenness of God's light. God's filtering out light so that there can be a world. And, and when you, when you, so we're, we're, so we say, that we are fixing the world with God's kingship. And then as a random name of God, Shin Dalad Yud, the one from the doorpost, you know, on the mezuzah, Shin Dalad Yud, you know why there's that name there? Because that name, Shin and Dalad and Yud, is the word that it's enough she that and then die that it's enough so what are i what are people generally giving idolatry to um they're giving idolatry to their excesses meaning excessive behavior wanting to do whatever the hell they want to do and then think they can just offer something for their excess meaning it's never enough enough is not enough uh, there, there was a Joe Jackson song in the 1970s. Enough is not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. 
is not enough. So enough is never enough for the, for for people. But but I was I was so indulgent that I'm feeling terrible. So I'm going to offer a little something to the god of of food or god of sexuality or god of this or god of that. And I, you know, like so so no, actually you have limitation and you're supposed to use it and honor it. And that's your guide for something powerful to happen with that limitation. And, and you have that, that limitation is important. And so we're fixing the word world, the Malchus Shakai within the, in the kingship of, of he that said it's enough. Meaning, meaning you put limit. And by the way, you know what that, that name does? That name is the filters, the filters made of Shakai. The name Shakai. Think about it. God's sending light. That's Shem Havaya, Yudke Vavke. That's just total like, and and that's just that's gonna take over everything. You know, that's gonna just make it impossible for world to exist. So Shakai filters that light. Well, I, I, small question. Small question. Yeah. The uh, name that you just pronounced, you pronounced it without the Yud, or you said... No, I said it with a Kuf instead of a Dalit. No, no, not that one, not that one. The uh, Yud, Ke, Vav, He, one. I said Havaya. Yeah, you can call it Havaya. You flip around the words. Flip around the letters, sorry. I've heard that, but you're you're not... That's not the full name, though. It is. He, Vav, Yud, and He, Havaya. Oh, you flip the letters around. Okay, yeah, I it's, we call it Shema Vaya. Yeah. But that's okay. That's allowed. You're allowed. Is it Dr. Rodekwesh? You're allowed. By the way, this Rosh Chodesh was, you know, every every month. Oh, wait, i got to check the time. Anyone know what time we are? Just on minutes? I have to... 03. I, oh, 03? Oh, wow. I'm having so much fun, I forgot. Yeah, I'm picking my wife up from the gym. Um, everybody, um, you know, I can't really do another question now cause I want to honor my wife with that. Um, I listen, listen, everybody, uh, you can always email the, the questions to ask at rabbiyomtov.com. Please sign up. Um, please sign up for my, my four week series, um, called the purpose of desire. I'm doing a, a amazing webinar called desire. And it's like, it's going to be the greatest hits of getting your life totally in line, you know, and it's good time during coronavirus to like start thinking about where you want to be and desires everything. That's like, if you don't have what, what, if you don't have what you want clear, you're not going to be getting, you're not getting there. You know, it's hard to get where you, it's hard to get where you want to go if you don't know where you, where you want to go. So, um, so we're going to be doing a four part series, two hours every Sunday for four weeks. And it's going to be something super fabulous. I'm doing a lot of prep. You can read all. I think I have the whole outline, all the bullet points online at RabbiYomTov.com. Thank you for joining. Everyone hit those bells and whistles. Subscribe and and uh, share and all those good things. Shalom, everybody. Join my club, please, if you can be supportive at all. It helps me pay people to do what I'm doing. It's uh, Just go to RabbiYomTov.com and join the club. You also get benefits if you're in the club. Okay, shalom, everybody. I think even the, I don't even know what the deal is with the webinar, but I think they get, they get a special price. I'm, I'm pretty sure I don't know what my staff decided. Shalom, everybody. Shalom, All everybody. Bye. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.